0: On today's episode of the Launchpad Podcast, we are talking a little bit more general thoughts about the draft, Ty, Ty Washington, John Wall's recent buyout, Eric Gordon, or other potential small forward options, and more. So don't go anywhere. We have a great show for y'all today on the Launchpad Podcast. Roger, we copy and standing by for your TV. They throw it up. Oh, there goes Jalen Green. Humans can't fly. Rebound well, picked up by Green who's back in. Plays it ahead of him. Back to Green. Oh, oh in time for Thanksgiving. But there are plenty of yams to go around. Welcome in to the episode of the Launchpad Podcast presented by Clutch City Control Room. As always, I am your host, Don Knock. I'm joined by my fellow host, Paolo Alves. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Don Knock. You can find the pod at Clutch City CR. Uh, If you go into the description there, you can find the link tree that has the YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify links. I want to thank everyone again for leaving YouTube comments. Y'all have done a really good job about that. Uh, we've got some good feedback in there. We've got some good discussion going in there. So if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment. We very much appreciate those. Paolo, go ahead and tell the people where they can find your stuff.
1: Y'all can find me on Twitter at N B A. That's P-A-U-L-O-A-L-V-E-S-N-B-A. NBA. Everything I do from podcasts like this one to the live shows on Twitter Spaces will find itself linked on there. Perfect. And we are
0: joined today for the first time after the draft by. USA Today's Rockets Wire editor Ben Dubose. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm glad that you have uh, you've uh, humored us and joined in our our shenanigans here. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I'm <laughs> sure everyone is wondering why we are, you know, looking so fashionable right now with our great sunglasses. Ben, tell the people where they can find your stuff, including your podcast, the Logger Line, and we'll go from there.
2: Yep. uh, Only the fashion will wear sunglasses at night. So since we're taping this at night, that's when you got to do it. Shout out Um,
0: to Brad. Shout out to Brad.
2: (laughs) But yeah, uh, Ben Duvose on Twitter, the RocketsWire on Twitter, uh, RocketsWire.usatoday.com. And yeah, just search for the logger line and you can find it Apple, Google, Spotify, all your major podcast distributors.
0: Perfect, and you had friend of the show Mike Scotto on the most recent episode, and he talked a little bit about John Wall with you. He talked a bit about John Wall when he was on our space uh, a few weeks ago, so that's definitely something we're going to get into today. But to start out with, Paolo, go ahead and tell the people why we are all wearing our fancy sunglasses.
1: <laughs> right, it's a. I guess it's not a joke anymore. It's it's. I mean, if, it's, if, as serious if, as it gets. Yeah, this uh, when the people. Serious. Wait- Exactly. When when the people make it official, if we can get it to stick. So people have made, uh, we're, we were looking for uh, nicknames for Jabari Smith, right? Because we did a really poor job last year getting one for Jalen Green. Like, it took a lot of time. Was,
0: I was in the Zero-G camp. and uh, was going change his uh, number. Unfortunately, <laughs> right. yes, he will change his number and Zero-G will no longer be applicable, but... Uh, I thought that one was, you know, it was it was decent.
2: By the way, yeah. the number switch still the big scoop from Don Knox, so let's give credit to the original source on that.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so, uh I I think Frank um on Twitter from the Cloud club uh put a poll up, and one of the options was Agent Smith, you know, the the guy from the Matrix. And well, we ran with it and now we're we were we've been putting uh, Agent Smith is like sunglasses on, on everybody's profile pic. Everybody that wants to do it, and so it's it's a running joke now, and that's why we're we're all in sunglasses today. It's uh, it's to celebrate Chavaris Smith's new name, new nickname, uh, or should I say, Agent Smith's new nickname? Perfect. So Ben was not able
0: to join us last time uh, in our post. Post uh, draft pod because uh, we record on Saturday, like heathens. Um, so understandable that he was not able to, you know, stop by. But Ben, uh, I'm going to give it to you a little bit. You wanted to talk about the pick, um, talk about kind of what led up to the pick, and some of the the fallout or you know contention around people that are switching sides from you know Paolo <laughs> to, to Jabari and things of, of that nature.
2: Yeah. Well, for starters, I'm taking my shades off because, dude, it's night. Come on, uh, I'm not doing the entire pod like this.
0: I I have dedication to the bit. I will remain uh, in in sunglasses, but it's okay if you take them off. We we appreciate you (laughs) doing it for for the introduction.
2: But the reason I wanted to address it, I, I think you guys have gotten an unfair rap. The Rockets picking at three in a draft where the top three were considered to be basically in their own tier. Of course you are going to focus on the strengths of the guy that everyone thinks is going to be available at that pick. For Rockets, I've been doing the aggregate mock drafts really since the lottery, so since mid-May, no one in the five-plus weeks that I did it had Jabari Smith at number three. I would say 90% plus was Paolo. There were a few Chet Holmgrens from people who thought that Paolo might sneak up to OKC at two. Nobody had Paolo at one. He didn't even work out for them. It was a shock. So Paolo was 90% plus likely, maybe 10% Chet. Jabari, at least in the mock drafts, was zero. So, of course, Rockets fans are going to focus on the strengths of the guys, and in this case, really the guy, Paolo, that everyone connected to the draft says is going in all likelihood to be there. That is human nature. You're not going to do a serious comparison of the three when your team is not the one making the choice. A lot of people to like, oh, well, these pros to Jabari, why didn't you talk about this throughout the process? Because the Rockets weren't picking at one. If it was an Orlando Magic fan group, then yes, you know, Magic fans probably shouldn't shift dramatically from Paolo to – or Jabari to Paolo, I should say, because the whole narrative on Magic Twitter for six weeks is about them having the choice. With the Rockets, of course fans are going to focus naturally on who they think is going to be there. And, of course, there is a viable case for Paolo. I understand why the Magic took him at one. When I talk to some people around the Rockets and the league – The consensus response that I got was that Jabari is the safer pick. You should probably sleep better at night with him because with Jabari, between the elite shooting, the defense, the versatility, you know that he's not going to miss, or I guess you can't know, but you 99% know he's not going to bust. It's really hard to envision that scenario. But there are at least enough questions right now with his playmaking, his passing, his shot creation, things that at least to this point he hasn't shown in huge doses. Now, I did notice the Stanford KP numbers about the uh, numbers that Jabari put up when Walker Kessler was not on the floor at Auburn, which really raised my eyebrow a little bit. Maybe he is going to be better with the floor spaced at creating on his way to the bucket. We'll have to wait and see. But even if you take the questions seriously in regards to his playmaking, his shot creation, et cetera, et cetera, and clearly Paolo has an edge there, look, there's value in Jabari's floor. Whereas with Paolo, you hope that that playmaking, that passing is going to fully translate. But if it doesn't, and the fact that he doesn't have nearly the length, the defensive versatility, there are scenarios where maybe he's just a solid starter at best. So it just sort of goes both ways. And the case for Paolo, now the upside with those skills is that if it all hits, he could be the type of alpha engine, like a top five, top 10 type player that as of now, I don't know if you can say that that you could reasonably have the same expectation with Jabari. Not to say he can't get there eventually, but just based on what we know to this point, I think it's safer to say Jabari has a higher floor and Paolo has a bit more upside if it all checks out. Now, whether it all checks out, that's probably not going to happen. But the reality is, if you're looking for 5%, 10% upside cases, then yeah, you can squint hard enough and see Paolo being a potential star. And that's what captivated you guys and Rockets fans for the past month. And that's completely understandable if, if you think that he's going to be your guy. But in this case, it doesn't mean that the other guys don't have their own strengths. It's just we didn't talk about them because nobody thought Jabari would be on the board. So it was pretty much pointless, other than in the context of, you know, there were some discussions about trading up. But look, I mean, trading up means giving up an asset, like a future first or more than that. Typically, if you look back at the Luca and Trey Young trade, um, Tatum and Fultz that year. When we're talking about literally just a one for one, do you want Paolo or do you want Jabari? Nobody thought that the Rockets would have a choice at Jabari, so that's why we weren't talking about it. So I understand why Orlando did what they did. You know, if you think upside, you can see a scenario where Paolo can be, uh, you know, truly like the number one on a contender. Is it likely? No, but the path is there, and especially for a small market team like Orlando that doesn't have a Jalen Green then I can see the appeal. And I will say from the Rockets standpoint, one reason why I'm much more comfortable with Jabari is because they did get Jalen Green last year. I might want to err on the side of Paolo's upside a bit more if they didn't already have a guy like Jalen that should be the top scorer on a contender, a very good shot creator, and eventually a playmaker, assuming that develops, and clearly he has the talent for it too. Uh, Then it makes you you know, a little more comfortable with a high floor guy like Jabari sliding in behind him. And then, of course, we'll see what happens in 2023. Maybe the Rockets get lucky with Victor and Scoot Henderson, one of those guys, the top of the draft a year from now. They're also going to have all this cap space. And Houston, historically, is um, a lucrative destination for free agents. So the way I sort of look at it, Paolo has the upside of, like, if you want to squint hard enough, you can say Jalen Green, Paolo Bencaro. If it all works out, these can be the two top players on a championship team. Can you say the same for Jalen and Jabari? Maybe, but I don't know. Jabari quite has the same upside, at least at this stage. But the bottom line is they're, it, it's about building a team. It's about a puzzle. And with Jabari, especially his versatility, you have so many other options as you build out your roster. There's also the fact that he makes life a lot easier for Kevin Porter Jr. and Alperin Shingoon to get their touches. And maybe by life being easier for them, I do think KPJ and Shingun will like playing with Jabari more than they would have with Paolo. Maybe one of those guys takes the next step as far as being a scorer or a creator. And then, of course, you have to wait and see what happens, as we mentioned, with your with your high pick in 2023 or your cap space a year from now or beyond that the bottom line is Javari gives you a lot of options I think with the Paolo thing you squint hard enough you can say hey if Paolo and Jalen totally max out their gifts then maybe this can be like the perfect Shaq and Kobe type duo to lead a championship team but again that's really wishful thinking and you know Rockets fans did a little bit of that a little bit of that well guess what that's what the lead up to the draft is about that's what makes sense that's what fans do and especially if you're at pick number three you're not doing a compare and contrast with the top three guys because you're not in all likelihood going to be in position to make a choice you're going to have to pick whoever's left and so you're going to talk about who all the experts have as being available at three which was Paolo. so that's uh, that's sort of my intro to all of this discussion i don't know why people are saying oh now you guys are flipping to jabari no, you guys are just learning new information and adapting to it. That's part of being fans. That's part of following a team. You adapt, then the scenarios don't always go as you expect. And the good news is that this is still a pretty damn good one.
1: Yeah. Let me, let me just say something real quick, Don, before you, before you take it away, and then you can transition into the next one as well. <laughs> I, at least personally, I said since the beginning that, yes, I prefer Paulo, right? But there's good arguments for the other ones, and and I remember arguing with Gletch fans over this a bunch. And you, I would always say, you made the perfect example against Paul is, if you don't believe he has the tools, or he or he will achieve his ceiling, then Kyberis is probably the right pick. I personally believe that Paul has the tools to reach his ceiling, and so that's why I I have him ahead because I I bank on him hitting that ninety percent outcome at the very least, right? And but then I always say, like, once one of them is a Rocket, then we're not talking draft anymore. I'm supporting the player that's a part of the Houston Rockets. Yeah. Just just like I didn't give a damn about Daniel ties when he was in the, on the Celtics, but when he signed for the Rockets, I was rooting for him to do well as well. This is not a foreign concept, and it, it was always expected. And then to have a little bit of a more of a, an objective discussion, it is true. And the argument for Jabari, or at least... I bought in so much on Paul that I had to convince myself again to to be bought in on Chapari. The easiest the easiest argument for me is you've got León Green, right? And and you yes you do need more than one uh, offensive option that can create their own shot. But the reality is the Rockets have three years to rebuild yeah. through the draft. And the one thing you can't do is you can't miss. Right, you've got three shots at it, right? and I think Kibari is the one that pretty, is pretty much guaranteed to not be a miss. He, he might not be as, as big as a, uh, an upside swing, but it's also a draft that's generally considered to be worse than next year's, and the Rockets are uh, projected to be a bad team next year. So maybe it makes more sense to, in next year's draft, that has like a top 10 of players that project to be offensive options, your Mbanyama, Square Andersons, Derrick Whiteheads, the, both the Thompson Twins, your Nick Smiths, for example. You've got all of these guys that you're likely going to get one and so it also makes sense to have a guy like kabari and even if this scenario doesn't pan out a team with 80 million in cap space right yep. and the assets of the rockets too will likely at some point be able to swing for a star via one way or the other and the beautiful thing about kabari is the defense and the shooting is some is something that's always valuable whatever role they're playing and his versatility defensively makes it so you can add a star or an offensive star, that usually those come with some defensive deficiencies, you can add one at the center position. You can add one at the power forward and slide Jabari to the three. You can add one that's a small forward and slide Jabari to the four. You can add another shooting guard and and, and he and, and one of them can play the three. Jabari can cover for a little bit of the, of the size deficiency at the four as well. You can add a point guard, but that actually kind of works with, with the work with Paulo anyway. But the, the, the skill sets are there and and it makes team building a lot more versatile and to me the biggest deal of them all is team has a really short time to rebuild mm-hmm. and you've got to capitalize on the assets that you do have and in a draft that's projected to not be great it makes all the sense in the world I and mean, it's very good because it wasn't the rocket's choice but it's very good to get a guy that you know pre- yep. <laughs> you can't guarantee anything but you know with pretty good confidence that we'll be able to play a role in your eventual championship team because his skill set is exactly what you want. Yep. And if, even if he doesn't hit any type of star value, his skill set alone is scalable to to whatever outcome you want. If he, if he can become a star, right? He can become one of the best role players in the league. He can become just a normal role player. But when you have the shooting and the defense, you can slot into any of these roles for a team yep. and you'll always be successful.
2: And that's, yeah, I agree with you completely as far as 2023, the draft free agency, the added options he gives you in team building and the cherry on top of the Sunday for me, because he is an easier drop in replacement right now as far as starting power forward for the Rockets, as I mentioned earlier, it is a better fit for Kevin Porter Jr. and Alperin Shingun, in my opinion. And maybe one of those guys ends up taking a leap next season or the year after that, that maybe they wouldn't have if it was Paolo, because the fit isn't quite there. And then that way, you know, you fill that need for extra creation, scoring, whatever it may be internally as well. So you have the other avenues. And then the fact is, I think he's a better fit for your existing talent as well. And so, Do you need more? Probably. I don't know that you just say Jalen and Jabari, hands down, you do nothing else. That's going to be the two that are going to, you know, Shaq and Kobe. Probably not. But again, you don't have to. There are so many other ways that this can happen. And that's why I think Jabari, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You have a short window in terms of the assets, especially within your control. You need to make sure you don't miss. I think it's pretty clear right now they didn't miss with Jalen Green. And I think the odds are as good as they can possibly be that you're not going to miss with Jabari Smith.
0: Yeah, I think we took a pretty good Pretty good care making sure that when we were doing most of our draft content that you know, we were praising Paolo. And we really didn't tear down Jabari So, you know, do I feel bad switching over to Jabari after we drafted him? No, I really don't because uh, I didn't you know Make it a point in any of my draft coverage to really tear him down uh, He was second on my board behind Paolo. So, you know getting my second guy uh, That's completely fine and, and that goes right with my best player available uh, at the time um the, the one thing I do want to touch on that Ben pointed out, um, the Stanford KP tweet, right, uh, about how Jabari looked so much better when Kessler was off the floor. I had a tweet with just a little side-by-side screenshot of Jabari on the left I guess the, a little bit offset to the left of the top of the key. Mm-hmm. And he got the ball swung to him and he took about two dribbles into the paint. And within those two dribbles, the entire LSU defense had collapsed on him. And they're just completely ignoring Kessler, who's spacing out, they're completely ignoring the guards behind him. And I, I think that just has is it was a very good uh, depiction of what I saw a lot mm-hmm. on tape as I've gone back. And you know, when you watch some of these games and you you don't you're not looking for that specifically. Um, you know, you're just kind of watching Jabari for skills and things like that, shooting and, and yep. things like that, it doesn't stand out as much. And, you know, we had an Auburn guy on our space that we did uh, two yep. days ago or yesterday, and we asked him, you know, what did you see about a couple of different things from Jabari? And, and that was one of the things he pointed out was there no one considered Kessler a threat to space the floor. Um, when he was in the paint, his defender was just clogging uh, Jabari. And I, I think if the Rockets have increased spacing, that's going to help. And I think, you know, just... Not having to drive through help defense is going to help a lot because uh, I think the the dialogue with the dribble has gotten a little bit misconstrued as well. Mm-hmm. It's not that he can't, you know, bounce the ball off the floor and have it come back and hit him in the hand again, right? the The problem is he doesn't have a bunch of creation moves and counters to beat help defense. And if he's not going up against the level of help defense that he was last year at Auburn, that becomes less of an issue kind of intrinsically. and and I think yep. some of the finishing at the rim stuff, kind of coincided with that as well because a lot of times when you'd watch on tape, he's getting blocked or something like that. It's the help defense guy coming over and getting him, you know, while that yeah. primary defender is kind of holding him holding him back.
2: And by the way, a quick addition to your point as far as his uh, stiffness a little bit off the dribble and what he can do in terms of creating space, I think just as Jabari is a good fit for the Rockets, I think in that regard the Rockets are a good fit for Jabari because unlike Orlando where there isn't really an alpha creator – you know that Jalen Green is going to be that guy, assuming health in Houston. And we've seen Kevin Porter Jr. and even Alperin Shingun do it in stretches. So it's going to be much easier from day one for Jabari to play to his strengths as far as the shooting, the floor spacing, the defense, and gradually build on his weaknesses, getting a little more loose in his upper body and finding ways to create space when he does dribble so that he can get that shot off. And I think it's much easier to do that when you aren't developing bad habits. I think what happens so many times with these guys that are asked to do too much too soon when they're rookies, they develop bad habits, it can affect their confidence, and then even if it goes into year two, year three, and the team changes, all of a sudden you know, it can become a thing. Whereas in Houston, the way the roster is constructed, it's not that Houston overall is a way better team than Orlando, but at least from the standpoint of Jabari's perceived weaknesses when it comes to shot creation they are in my opinion and project to be even more so assuming jalen continues to take that leap jalen green that is not jalen sucks because that's where there's a huge gap between the two Jalen's. and so yeah that's where to me houston fits well for him too is that he can gradually work on those weaknesses and then who knows by year two year three all of a sudden he may have improved that stuff to where we look back to the scouting reports and say man he just didn't really have a chance to do that when he was younger
0: yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned I mentioned this uh in a conversation I was having with uh Trey Klein, a friend of the show. Um the problem wasn't watching Jabari on tape and stuff like that. The problem wasn't that you know he couldn't make these you know amazing contested looks, right? The mm-hmm. problem was he wasn't getting a lot of easy looks. And a lot of times, like yeah. when you think of Jalen, right? So many times you see Jalen just create so much space that he's just yeah. getting an easy layup or an easy three. And, and that's really what what stood out more so than, you know, he couldn't hit those tough shots because he absolutely could. So what you want is, you know, the rocket system, the rocket spacing, the rockets guards are getting him those easy shots. And so that way, you know, he's not having to, you know, take these tough contested shots all the time. And
2: And the other thing too, that Paolo pointed out on Twitter, you know, one of the, um, one of the beat writers mentioned or, or asked the question to Jabari's dad during the press conference or after the press conference when we got to talk to his parents, his agent, that kind of stuff. And, you know, Jabari being the youngest, he literally just turned 19 a few yeah. weeks ago. His dad left open the possibility that he could still grow another inch or two to where, you know, if he becomes a legit seven footer, then my God, it's like KD, even if you're not that slick necessarily, if you're that tall and can shoot that well, you don't have to have much separation just to rise and fire over someone. So that's a possibility as well that, you know, not that his dad has any sort of, Inside Intel, obviously, that's just, you know... He has all of the
1: inside <laughs> Intel. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: he, he does. I just mean, in terms of whether he actually is going to grow. That's just one of those things that, it, you know, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. But, no, it's a very valid point. And he did mention, of course, that there's some history in the family of doing it as well. So if that happens, and that makes it all the easier, you know, if you're seven feet and can shoot like that, you don't necessarily have to have that much wiggle in terms of your upper body to create that much room.
1: Yeah, yeah. and the, the other thing that I wanted to touch on before we move on is it's not like when people people say that we like we flip-flopped or whatever it's not like we were flip-flopping in and we were like just saying that the weaknesses that we thought the body had aren't weaknesses anymore no it was just that at least i personally i was highlighting the strengths and why he might be and uh, might i mentioned it being a blessing in disguise uh it might be that he is the best in this guy, and it's because of his strengths. And it, it, this doesn't mean that I don't still think that he has a, something that he needs to develop on. He does need to develop, at the very least, like Don said, the ability to make the extra pass when he's attacking a kick out or when, he, when, when he's driving to the rim, right? Because having Kessler there, right? Yeah. It still gives you. A, a lock threat, but you've got to learn to use it. And with Kingun there, he's going to have to learn to use it as well. And most likely throughout his NBA career, he's going to play with a non-four spacing big, right? And and while it's encouraging to see the numbers without Casar on the floor, because I do think that there's there's something to there to Tiapari being a small ball five in that, uh, at certain points in his career, just because well every NBA team does it, and he has the size and the defense and the defensive skills to do it. It's it's also that he will need to be able to hit the man or or dump it off to the man on the dunker spot or or kick it out to to the corner shooter or, or send it back out to the wing on the other side, depending on who's helping. But these are things that are not, when your expectation is that he probably won't be a ball-dominating uh, forward, these are things that he can focus on and he can he can develop. And when you're already so polished at the other two things, then you can focus more on 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 this part of the playmaking because we're not asking him to be running the offense. It's it's not that hard, and we've seen it with... Um, I mean, basically, all of the star wings in the league came in not being good passers. Jason Tatum has learned, learned it on the fly. Come on. Kawhi Leonard the same thing, Paul George the same thing. Like these these guys, uh, these really elite defensive yeah. and shooting wings, they learned this the stuff throughout their yeah. careers. And even if I mean, he even even learn...
0: Jalen, even Jalen made you know strides last year as a yeah. passer.
1: So these are things that he can develop, and they they are still there. Like he didn't become all of a sudden a flawless prospect. It's just. I was making an effort to highlight his strengths and yeah. why he might be the and, right op- the right option at the end of the day.
2: And in, again, it's going to be so much easier in Houston for him to potentially develop those weaknesses because he's not going to be asked to do too much too soon. And the context is what gets lost, especially on social media. Quite frankly, a lot of our analysis over the past month in terms of doing draft boards, we've been looking at Jabari through the lens of primarily Orlando, but worst case, Oklahoma City. And in those situations, I do think it's worse for him because there's not really that guy, especially not Orlando. Now, in OKC, you could certainly point to SGA, but it, you know it remains to be seen exactly how long he's there for. But especially Orlando, those weaknesses might be a bigger deal because, again, it gets back to you know developing the wrong habits and being asked to do too much too soon. But in Houston, especially, when you look at that fit, you can see a scenario where he can gradually build on those, and then three or four years from now, we say, wow, he's – actually, that's not a deficiency at all. Again, it's just sort of the to put a bow on it and to get back to what we let off saying, we just didn't discuss that angle because nobody – not just us, no one in the NBA mock draft community had any scenario where Jabari was available to Houston – at three. Now, I guess you can say there were some scenarios where we talked about. Well, could Houston trade up to one? But yeah, that's different because you're talking about mortgaging future assets for that. Nobody had a one for one scenario, Paolo or Jabari for Houston, so we didn't go that much into it. Now, when Wolt gets into it, into it wrong, it. It yeah, good. when Wolt gets it
1: wrong, you're not expected to get it right. Like literally, Wolt got it wrong until an yeah. hour before the draft. Like nobody knew.
0: Yeah. Well, but...
2: Vegas did, but other than that.
0: Uh, well, has got the Kyrie thing wrong, too, so it's not looking good for him right about now. But uh, I think this is a good time to come to a stopping point here. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Ty Ty Washington and about um, John Wall. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And continue to our second segment here on the Launchpad Podcast. We're going to be talking about a pair of Kentucky guards, and we're going to start out with John Wall. Uh, we'll say Rockets legend John Wall uh, no longer with the team. Uh, still with us in Spirits, I'm sure. Uh, everyone enjoyed his time here very much. Rockets so,
2: press conference legend, John there Wall. There we go. He wanted to go. be there. He wanted to be there. He, <laughs> he gave us some humor and some dark times.
1: <laughs> or the the GDC, what we must have mentioned, he mentioned uh, his favorite quote was, um, this shit sass. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We terrible. needed John Wall last season to get through it. Uh, yeah, fans, yeah, media, relief. we all needed John Wall content. Or two seasons um, ago, I should say.
0: So, Ben, we're gonna let's go to you first. Um, a lot of people saw this coming from a long ways away, but n- the day is finally here. You know, what do you think about the number that Wall gave back? What did you think about um, how quickly uh, he-, he percolated over there to the Clippers? Uh, and you know, what do you think of just John Wall? You know, his time in yeah. Houston generally.
2: Um- no issues with him picking the Clippers quickly. Again, he's been looking at this for a year. And I actually remember back during the 2021 playoffs, he actually went to a Clippers Western Conference Finals game when they were going up against uh, – who did they go up against that year? Oh, yeah, Phoenix. That's right. Um, and he sat with um, Paul George's parents. And that was one thing that sort of raised my eyebrows. I was like, hmm, mm. to sit with another guy's parents, that's interesting. But – it seemed like there was something there for a while. I'm happy for him. The number six and a half, seven million makes about sense because that's I believe the that's the taxpayer MLE. And most of these guys, they'll give back exactly what they're gonna make in their next contract. So it's about uh what was to be expected financially. I have no issues with it. Uh some people will undoubtedly say, well, if you're gonna release him this early, why not buy him out a year ago? I think there's a couple of things. First off, you don't want to set the precedent of buying out a guy with two years left in his contract, even if financially it's the same thing because they did pay him his contract last year. I do think that buying guys out that early, all of a sudden you can set a tricky precedent when it comes to a a guy later on that might want out prematurely. I think it makes sense to wait until one year. And also you can explore your options. Look, I think there might have been a world in which If a hypothetical star had come available over the past year that the Rockets had pounced on, then maybe you could trade John Wall at the draft and get something. But the bottom line is because the Rockets, for various reasons, did not make that sort of big impact trade over the past year, then keeping that 2023 flexibility is all the more important. And it's almost impossible to get $47 million in matching salary for John Wall you would have had to have taken back longer-term money, and it's just not worth it. A buyout is better than taking back longer-term money. This is not like the Christian Wood trade where because Christian Wood is making $14 million, you can easily accept four guys from the Mavs who are all expiring, and then it doesn't impact your cap. No, with Wall, unless it was a Russell Westbrook – and I'll explain that in a second – unless it was that, you're pretty much not going to be able to match salary-wise without taking back long-term money. And people will say, well, why didn't you then just buy them out earlier? Well, again, it's A, the precedent, and B, you don't know. If you had struck a big deal over the last year, then maybe flexibility wouldn't be that important, and then you could take back some longer-term money. But the fact is, the big deal did not materialize. The Rockets are still putting that back to 2023, which makes sense for a lot of reasons. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast. And because of that, now is not the time to take back longer-term money, and a buyout is what makes the most sense. The only option that was reasonable was Westbrook and the Lakers. But if the Lakers weren't willing to give a first round asset, and according to all reports, that was the case, The bottom line is that under Rafael Stone, the Rockets have clearly placed a priority on having good relationships around the league with players and especially agents. Because when the Rockets do have up to $80 million in salary cap room or flexibility next summer, then, hey, you want to make sure that agents are putting in a good word for you with their clients around the league or that players around the league are telling, you know, when John Wall goes to the Clippers, hey, the Rockets treated me right. And all of a sudden, maybe that plants a seed with somebody else on that team that's going to be a free agent or maybe a trade candidate, whatever it may be. The value in that, especially in the with John Wall, because he's rupped by Rich Paul and Clutch Sports, the most powerful agency in the game, that is worth more than a second-round pick. Apologies to David Weiner, a Thug, second-round pick guy. Sorry, I will take goodwill with uh, – Rich Paul over one or even two second-round picks. Now, if it's a first-round asset, okay, maybe that's a little bit different. You can get a swap or an unprotected future pick from the Lakers who could certainly bottom out in a few years. Okay, then I would trade him. But if that's not on the table and apparently it wasn't, then to me, a buyout and the good vibes with John Wall looking at it Uh, you know, to where everybody can smile about it and make no mistake about it. You know, I think John Wall clearly preferred the Clippers to the Lakers, and it's not hard to understand why. The Lakers were a joke last year. The Clippers, assuming Kawhi and Paul George are healthy, now you add John Wall. That's a very interesting team that, if healthy, can make a serious run and perhaps contend for a title next year. So I understand what John is thinking and just wishing the best. And like I said, the fit didn't work once the Rockets pivoted to a full-fledged rebuild. But I'll always look back on him and, you know, it's not fair to say that he was a disappointment because it's not that he disappointed. The situation just changed. When the deal was made, I do think that John Wall was a better fit than Russell Westbrook with James Harden. And when that deal got to the finish line in very early December of 2020, you still had hopes of making it work with James Harden. And I do think there's things you could do with Wall and Harden that you couldn't do with Russell Westbrook and Harden. That clearly was not going to work. I think the chance of Wall was worth it, especially because you got a first-round pick with Wall. I think Wall was a better fit than Russ, and you got a first-round pick. And by the way, the first-round pick that you got from Washington uh, along with John Wall for Westbrook, was one of the two first-round picks that you sent for Alperin Shingoon, who people are very excited about, and justifiably so. So, worst-case scenario, taking on Wall ended up leading you to Shingun. But I also, you know, I think he played hard last year. I think clearly this uh, he played hard two seasons ago. Last year, he was around the team a decent bit, but he certainly didn't have to be. There's a lot of veterans who would have just totally checked out and not even tried to give guidance or be on the practice court with their younger teammates. There's nothing to be angry about. The situation just changed from when they traded for him in early December 2020. And even if, you know, I know there are some that will joke and, uh, you know, throw out the tank commander memes. I guess you can say that. But again, I don't really, you know, blame him for the so-called tank in the 2020-2021 season, although at this point, not blame, it led you to Jalen Green, so credit. you know, I think the downturn in his efficiency is one of those things. That team had zero creator, so whoever was the lead guy, in this case it was John, was inevitably going to do some stupid things because he was just being asked to do way, way too much, especially the stretch when Christian Wood was not on the floor and then when he came back but was a shell of himself because of the ankle injury. Um, Whoever was going to be overextended, in this case, it was inevitably going to be John. Which is put in a rough spot. So, I don't seriously think that he's, you know, a tank commander guy like Avery Bradley. No, I think uh, John was a good player. He'll be a good fit with the Clippers. Wish him the best. And from the Rocket standpoint, good vibes with uh, Rich ball and Clutch Sports, way better than anything you could reasonably get, uh, especially considering the salary constraints, unless the Lakers are going to put a first round asset on the table. They didn't. So, this is the next best thing. And of course, you do it now. The bottom line, this is what gives you the vibes. By doing it now, you let Wall pick his next team. If you didn't do it now, the Clippers might sign somebody else in free agency, and then all of a sudden Wall doesn't have his primary choice. So you do it now, you make a clean break, you retain your flexibility next year, and hopefully uh, the good word from John Wall and Rich Paul uh, has some benefits for you down the line.
1: Yeah, and um, the other thing that I'll say, just to shout out John Wall before we move on, is to me the biggest thing was him being willing to sit for uh, an entire season Um, Him being willing to sit for an entire season uh, to me was the biggest thing because it allowed us to see KPJ as a point guard. It allowed us us to see KPJ and Dylan. And I don't know how many guys would have been just okay with not playing for a full season after being out for one and a half years and even the season before out for a large portion of the end of the season as well. So to me, the fact that he didn't make a a big media buzz about it was a big thing. And it allowed the, the Rockets to not buy him out. And I think the, the main reason they didn't buy him out is because for the draft time and then until they bought him out, he was basically the biggest human uh, trade, trade player exception ever because yep. he was expiring money, right? It, it's whatever team, if we were trading for a start or whatever it was, he would have been the salary match. And if he we bought him out earlier, he would have been just that cap. And you can't move that. Yeah. So I think a good counter example to what wall did is we there were reports when we were trading for westbrook or not when the westbrook for wall swap was in play was in play that Russ would not settle for a buyout like he didn't want to be bought out he wanted to still be seen as a max player he didn't want to sign somewhere else for a minimum or whatever because that hurts your your market possibilities in the future i remember reading about that and there's no way no way russell westbrook allows you not to play him for a full year. He's too competitive. He would have demanded to play, and you would have had to play him because he doesn't want to buy out. So you either waive him or you play him. And that could have been the situation as well. But he was, yeah. he was a really uh, he was a really the, good trooper, I'll call him for that.
2: Yeah. By the way, one little tidbit I think I can share now because it's several months old now. In that brief stretch in November where the Rockets started 1-16, the awful Wood-Tice lineups, and there was the brief sort of two-week period in which Wall was quote-unquote ramping up that everyone on Twitter still loves to joke about to this day. And of course, we know what ended up happening. He was open to coming back and wanted to help the team, but he didn't want to come back in a 15-minutes-per-game role, a DJ Augustine role, off the bench, and the Rockets... Rockets... Rockets were committed to the Kevin Porter Jr. path, as we talked about. I do think KPJ got better this past season, and so it worked out for everybody. But John, he's a competitor. He wanted to potentially play, and so there were the two weeks that they looked at it and tried to see if there might be a role, if either side might eventually budge off their position. It didn't happen. Rockets were committed to the rebuild, and so it is what it is. Now he has his freedom. But back in those two weeks of uncertainty, when he was ramping up, but not playing, and we all sort of in the back of our minds were like, is this really going to work? Because clearly he wants a bigger role than what the Rockets at this point in the rebuild were willing to give. You know, they wanted to give the DJ Augustine, Dennis Schroeder role, um, rather than full-fledged starting minutes. And he was going off the practice court one day. Um, he was shooting around before a game. Uh, so the main court, excuse me. And Mark Berman chased him down because, you know, Mark Berman will chase down anybody. And I followed, Uh, at this point, I did not have a relationship with John. One of the big drawbacks for NBA media the last couple of years is that because we weren't in locker rooms, it's hard to create like a one-on-one relationship with a guy. And so I didn't have a relationship with John. So I let uh, Mark do the talking, but Mark chased him down and was trying to do anything to get a quote about what the hell was going on. And John said, trust me, I want to talk, but they've asked me not to say anything. And I'm going to respect that. And he did. he basically, other than maybe a couple of very vague Instagram stories from time to time that were quickly deleted, he pretty much said nothing to the media all year. He could have made a fuss. He could have made this ugly. And I saw Berman, not that Berman's trying to do anything bad. I'm not saying anything bad about Mark at all. No, that's what a good journalist does. He's trying to get a story. But, you know, I can see it from the journalist side and I can also see it from the team side. And John Wall clearly wanted to talk. He told Berman, hey, I want to talk. But he bit his tongue and said, you know what, the team's asked me not to. And of course, Rafael Stone has said that time after time that he's got a great relationship with John. He thinks the world of him. And clearly, you know, John could have made this, mm. as Paolo said, a lot messier than it was. He didn't. And so because of that, I think you have to respect him.
0: That just makes me wonder if he if when he gets to L.A., how he's going to handle questions about his time on the Rockets. Um, I doubt anybody don't- will even
2: ask that much, though, truth be told.
0: I doubt they will, but it'll be interesting to see if it comes up. And, you know, I don't have any speculation on which direction he goes. You know, just with your little, you know, anecdote there, like he'll probably just, you know, be very respectful and just say, hey, you know, that, that's how we handle the situation. But I think it would be interesting and something to watch for. Um, yeah.
2: The introductory press conference. Yeah. yeah I just think yeah. it was such a small blip on the radar. I think it would have been a bigger deal. If when the plan was initially announced last summer, there had been discord, but I think the fact that it happened like during the season, like he briefly, you know, tried to come back and then it didn't happen. I just don't think because it's during the season, there's so many other storylines. I don't think that nationally it really registered on the radar all that much. So we'll see. But knock on wood, my guess is that at least with the LA media, it doesn't come up. Now, who knows if Jonathan Fagan or Mark Berman is on the call, you never know. But my guess is that it didn't make enough of a ripple nationally to be a big deal.
0: We'll see if Chris Mannix is there because you never know. Oh, name. God. Uh, but uh, let's, let's move on to Tai Tai Washington now. Um, Paulo, you wanted to cover Washington first. I did a little bit more uh, watching of Washington's game today. Uh, so I think this is a good time to, to talk about him a little bit more and, and get Ben's
1: thoughts on Tai Tai as well. Paulo, you're muted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here there we right, go. So, Here uh, we go. Um, so the, to me, Tai Tai, uh, he's. For, for, first of all, for twenty nine, he's an absolute steal. He on a lot of very popular scouts' boards. He was lottery. Um, we like we knew from I think Sam Vassini that the Rockets were the two prospects they were considering at seventeen when the pick was on the clock was Tari Eason and Tyty Washington. So you know, teams always say this, but you know how much they valued him, and I think it's for good reason. Right, because we're talking about a six-three, almost six-four point guard with a plus wingspan, I think six-eight or six-nine wingspan, that plays great defense. That before his injury was shooting forty, some forty-one percent from three, which is elite. That has the free throw percentage to back it up. And that has clear four general um, capabilities, both at the way he sees the four, the way he executes passes, the way he masks passes. To make them look like something else and he has a killer mid-range game what is what is he lacking right he's lacking downhill pressure getting by his guy getting to the rims definitely something that he struggles with he is acrobatic and he has some acrobatic finishes at the rim right he has the yep. the wiggle i'll call it that but he, he's not the best athlete right he's not station mix but he's somewhere in between right and he you, you, i don't expect him quite to become um a guy like Westbrook or Harden that really thrives off of dribble penetration and kicking out to to whatever shooters or thumping it off to the to the to the guy in the dunker spot. I think there are, and I, I put out a thread on this uh, earlier today. Uh, let me pull that up. Um, I think that there are a lot of outcomes that you can get out of Tai Washington that turn into very productive NBA players, mm. and. It comes back to the same reason with jabari that he's a he's a really good defender he hustles on that side of the ball and he's a good shooter although he got hurt uh and then he's like there's a clear difference so up until i think a th- two-thirds of the season before he got injured he was shooting 41 percent from three on decent volume and then from there on out he was shooting 27 percent ever since he came back from injury right and so that makes you think that there's probably something there and and hopefully the Rockets can get him right but with the characteristics that I just brought up I think there's three potential outcomes I think there's the starting off ball three three-and-D guard a good come for this would be your your Kenny Smith when he was with the Rockets your um, Patrick your Patrick who so he was also with the Rockets but again it's going to play really good defense and it's going to be able to space the floor. Who, is playing with two guys that are more leocentric really right but we'll be able to when he gets the ball not only just catch and shoot or catch and, and attack a, a kick out attack a close but also be able to make the next pass if that's what's needed they have those connector skills right I think this is pretty easy like I think this is the lower end outcome right and I think this is still a very useful player for a contender especially a team with so many assets. Uh, uh, getting poised to bringing in a, bring in another another star and usually those are also ball dominant and then besides that I think the like more of the middle outcome uh that can that has similarities to the outcome I mentioned before but probably plays a different role on a team is a world where he gets a little bit better at those at getting downhill getting to the rim he becomes more of a six-man role someone who can play the role like I said before but he has more quality, right? And then, so you'd want him to have the ball, in a sense, more often. And so you saw him in at six, man, he plays, he probably closes with the starting lineup as well, but he plays mostly with the second unit guys. That way he has more chance to have the ball in his hands, set up his teammates, he might be, be a little bit more of a ball-dominant guy. My comps for him in this regard were Marcus Smart, uh, back when Campbell Walker was that as well, uh, someone who is a little bit more ball-dominant, and we've seen with the Celtics now, where they don't have a point guard, and so... Marcus Smart does, does a lot of the bring uh, ball of the floor, and the other one was Ricky Rubio, right? I think all of the players that I've listed so far are all really useful players, and this is why I like the title watching them so much is because his game is easily translatable and which just like very easily scalable to different levels my third uh, my absolute ceilings category right and this will probably sound a little bit ridiculous because I'm going to mention guys that are all-time greats. but I was I was chatting with uh with a friend of mine from Reddit that had that is a little bit more of a long-time NBA fan and I was asking listen tell me a guy that plays great defense right is not the best of athletes, so it doesn't get downhill a lot. Uh, feasts in the mid-range if he is a, an offensive option, but can also be a really good catch in tutor from the outside when he doesn't have the ball. And he gave me, gave me two names, uh, funnily enough, two Pistons guys. He gave me Joe Dumars, and he gave me Chauncey Billups. And oh. I, I went and, and watched a little bit of these guys, and I'm like, if Taizai Washington hits close to his ceiling, right, his bread and butter when self-creating will be the mid-range. And I think that was the same thing for those guys. But then when he's um, when he doesn't have the ball, in a sense, he's going to space out back up to the perimeter, and while the other stars on the team are doing their thing, he's going to be able to catch and shoot at a high clip. And then, I mean, the reputation that these guys have defensively precedes them, and it's hard to compare a rookie and, and say that he'll turn into those guys. But the attitude is there, and he clearly has a, a chip on his shoulders on the, on the defensive end. He clearly has the hustle, and he has the tools. Right, as I said, almost six four. I think it's six three and three quarters, uh, and then. Wingspan six eight. Some some places have six nine. Some places have six eight. So those were kind of my range of outcomes. And what I like about him is, it's not a boom or bust guy, right? But he still has a little yep. bit of that ceiling. He's still twenty years so. old.
0: You know, when I watch his game, you know, someone who I think of, given, given like the the traits you named off and what I see, um, maybe like an oversized Mike Conley. I think mm. that's more conservative than quicker judge. I think Conley you know, is, is quicker, but you know, you, you're getting more size with with yes. uh tie and you're losing a little bit of that quickness and a little bit of shiftiness. Um, I do like his mid-range. I think his shot release is so quick that he's gonna be able to get that off uh, in the mid-range and then on catch and shoots as well. Um, he has the floater, like the in-between game is just just It's all there for him. There's really no part of his in between game that, you know, he seems to be lacking. Um, I like his touch around the rim. I think, you know, scoring over NBA bigs may be a problem, but he's not someone who's just going to, you know, smoke a bunch of easily makeable layups. In my opinion, I think his touch is that good. Um, The shot, like we mentioned, the shot between the injury and, and before, you know, it stopped going in after the injury, but. You know everything mechanically wise look good with the shot. He looks confident taking it, he looks confident taking it even from like NBA range. Uh, in some of the clips I've watched, um, as a passer, I still need to do a little bit more digging on, on him as a passer, but like I said, defensively, I think he's going to be able to be there and, and compete. Um, I could see him struggling because he's not super quick, uh, with mm-hmm. some faster guards. Like so if, if you put him on like an Ish Smith or something like that, I think you know he may struggle, or if, if you know. If he had to guard Jalen, hypothetically, right, I could see him struggling to guard someone like Jalen. Uh, but yeah, just overall getting this guy at twenty nine, I think there's a lot and of good things there. And I think, I think instinctually, he looks like he processes things fast. He looks like he uses screens well. Um, well and, I think, yeah, and I think, yeah, I think he's going to be someone that's very fundamentally mm-hmm. sound.
2: And to your point on quickness versus the super shifty guard. I think this is something where potentially he could be a good fit with Josh Christopher, because Christopher is someone who isn't really a one on offense. They wanted to play off the ball when possible on that end of the court. But defensively, Josh is super shifty and is the kind of guy who yeah. can pick up guys at the point of attack. So if Tai Tai isn't quite, quick enough laterally to be like a true one defensively, at least like a Pat Beverly type to throw out a comp, then, you know, he and Josh might be a pretty good fit together. And, uh, you know, as far as his game, I mean, I think you guys hit the main points. The one thing that I would add, just in terms of how he fits, just as we let off the podcast talking about Jabari being, you know, a can't miss and the fact that you know you can count on him, worst case for 30 solid minutes a night on a contender is important. After Jalen Green, there's so much uncertainty in the backcourt. I know that you want to believe in Kevin Porter Jr., Josh Christopher, Dacian Nix. None of those guys is a sure thing. With KPJ, you add in the contract uncertainty as well. And I'm not going to say they won't extend in this offseason, but the odds are you wait until he's a restricted free agent for the obvious reason the risk associated with him, some of the off court, and then the cap flexibility as well. And so you add in the business dynamics, the fact that, look, Dacian Nix was undrafted for a reason. Now I hope they figure it out the fitness issues and if so he would have been drafted but there is risk there. Josh Christopher, good rookie year, but nothing that you would say, wow, he's a hundred percent going to be the guy. All of these guys you feel pretty good about, but you know, we can say that Jabari, 90% plus, is going to be a starter. Here's the thing, these other guys, let's say that we're 70% confident on each of these guys. Well all of a sudden if you add in, you know, if you have three 30% chances and you add them together, It's a lot more than 30% that one of those isn't going to work out. And so that's where Ty Ty Washington really has a lot of value to this team. I know a lot of people didn't look at guard as a big need going into this offseason. But if you feel pretty good about his talent, then yes, it does give you a nice insurance policy in case one of those other three non-Jalen guards, for whatever reason, doesn't work out.
0: And yeah I, I just think the the talent at 29 is that just, too the
2: value is tremendous.
0: yeah you can't you can't pass up on it and you know even if they may have to do some some roster finagling, um just yeah you can't pass up on that that type of value and especially because they were able to trade back even from 26, pick up two uh, second round picks which will make Bima Thug happy uh, and then get Ty Ty Washington still at 29. It just it was it was just an incredible asset play by stone.
1: Yeah, and, and just down to your joke, I mean, they got two second round picks and a TPE, so, you know, Dumas, I like, love that trade. Yeah. Uh, but um, the other thing I was going to bring up is, the thing about Taita is, he's the thing about his higher-end comps being so much of older generation of players was is because, well, usually when you're as good of a three-point shooter as Chauncey Phillips was or as Joe Dumars was, because They were volume three point shooters, right? For that time, if you take one of those guys and put them this, in this era, they're going to be pulling up from three a lot, right? That, that's good, that's going to be the main way they leverage their game, right? And, and if they're drafted highly and the, and the team's trying to make them into a star, right? That's I think that's why it, they're really unique. Comes for Taizai, and then on the defensive end. I'm I'm comfortable. I think I'm comfortable with with Tai Tai defending once. I think his problem isn't really lateral quickness; it's beating his man off the dribble. Uh, I don't know if it's I I don't know if it's a handle thing or if it's a. It's usually usually guys. You can tell very early on if they're going to. Oh, you're done. Sorry. Wait, what happened? Hey, oh, I was. 7-0. I was
0: keeping up with it. 7 nothing. wow. By the way, he I,
2: drove in Pena, who I don't know if you saw your boy Jeremy Pena, routine ground ball to third, and somehow, like, Usain Bolt-type speed, <laughs> he beat it out. Pretty nuts.
1: Let's go. Because okay. I, I, I was, uh, while we were talking, I was keeping up with with the thing, and I saw that he had, like, five, like, he had, he had like one ball, and he had two strikes, but th- he had fouled, like, three or four balls in a row, and I was like, and then I saw second ball, third ball, and I'm like, I bet this is totally a spot where Jordan hits the homer because it's so unexpected. It seems like kind of out of out of sorts or whatever, whatever. Coming back to the tight, I think I think he'll be able to. Fe- I think he'll be able to defend. Woods. I think he's really unique in that sense of. It's just a unique set of skills to have the size, to have the defensive motor, to have the shot already, and then to have your does those those. Um, for general uh, capabilities. He was a highly touted prospect coming in, and then he dropped off a little bit. He was the man at Kentucky, right? That Kentucky team didn't have great talent other than him. And I know it's Kentucky, so there's some history in there they're always going to be decent, but he was the man there. and or the best prospect, even though he was played at shooting guard at times for some reason, but yeah, what I really like about him is how scalable he is, and how any one of these outcomes is a really useful player. And I remember loving Dylan Terry because Dylan Terry was very much the 3 and the point guard, and the thing is, and even though Tyty has less size. I think Tai is further along that scale of development. And if the and if the Rockets look at him kind of the same way they saw Christopher and they thought, hey, what if we can turn this guy to a Drew Holiday type? Mm-hmm. I think there's if they had that vision for him, I think they, it's possible that they have the vision for TaiTai of, what if we're not swinging on upside here, but we're swinging on a guy that really has all the tools to be one of the most useful and unique type of role players in the league? That's why I love him, and it's another guy that will fit into whatever scheme they, they bring on as a six-man, as a starting guard with two stars next to him, I think it, it he'll be great. And I just want to highlight one more
0: thing before we move on here. But, you know, I think his handle is very, very good too. Uh, it seems like you just rarely have seen him just totally lose the ball. like.
1: But is it steady? Like or is, it, what, but that, what mean is He so doesn't have like
0: a flashy handle. He doesn't have like that Kyrie real exactly. He seems like he has a very fundamentally sound exactly. handle. He's um, not going to turn it over, right. but he's also not going to – and his, his turnover, turn we, we talked about that last time. His his assisted turnover ratio was like four to yeah. one, which is just an incredible uh, assisted so turnover he's, ratio. Yeah.
1: He's the type of guy that's not going to turn it over, but he's also not like nasty Kyrie Irving going to get by you with this handle, right? It's a really um, trustworthy kind of handle, a really yeah. solid handle. He's not. It's I think it and it once again fits into the mold of a guy that's going to be play a really important role, but not exactly be a star. Cool. So
0: we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Eric Gordon. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. And coming to our last segment here on the Launchpad podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about Eric Gordon and a little bit about free agency, which is coming up on Thursday. So I'm sure no one wants to uh no one's gonna want to you know tune out for that it's gonna be one of the biggest days of the year for uh for nba news for sure not necessarily the rockets uh, but for the nba yeah yeah yeah, absolutely prioritizing
2: 2023 yeah
0: as a watcher of the nba for sure but uh let's start with eric gordon um ben you know gordon he was here since james Harden was here i think last offseason people wanted him moved when the deadline hit, people wanted him moved, and you know none of it, of course, because Gordon's a bad player, but just because you know we've the gone the, we've gone to the youth movement. He has an injury history. Um, people wanted to see him in a competitive situation, you know, in the twilight of his career, and you know see him go for a ring, which you know he's not going to be able to do because the Rockets are on you know the rebuilding timeline here. Um, hey, don't give up. Maybe in twenty twenty five. Maybe kidding. maybe 2025. Uh, but yeah, so what, what are your thoughts on Gordon? Do you think they move him? Yeah. Uh, do you think they hold on to him? Do you think you know something ends up getting done at I'll the make, deadline instead? Well,
2: look, I'll make this quick. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I mean, clearly, they do have him available. Windor's reported last week. Suns and Sixers, uh, Sixers beat writer said that the Sixers had interest, and it's just a matter of will they meet the Rockets' price? It's pretty clear that just a late first-round pick, especially a very late one like what they got for Christian Wood, Is not enough. I don't know if a team is going to be desperate enough. Maybe the Suns after, you know, just the embarrassment in Game 7. And they don't seem to have any major deals. In fact, they might lose DeAndre Ayton. So maybe that pushes them to do something. Because their window is definitely open forever with Chris Paul's age. So you can't write it off. But the bottom line is, if he stays, I just want to make clear... We can argue about the merits all day we have in the past. There's no reason to go through it again. But if he stays, he's going to play, assuming health, and when he's in the lineup. He's not going to be in the lineup every day. We saw the Rockets last year. They're going to manage him, try to avoid back-to-backs, yada, yada. And that may help the quote-unquote tank, too. But when he plays, he's going to start. He's going to play about 30 minutes per game. The bottom line is, if he's the type of guy that you're just going to make a backup and play 20 minutes per game, you would 100% deal in for a late first-round pick. They've had multiple windows to do that. They did it at the deadline, passed on that type of offer. They did it again at the draft. It's pretty clear there's interest in Eric Gordon. It's not that teams don't see him. It's that the Rockets have a price. That price has yet to be met. And at 33 years old, if the Rockets, in a rebuild, are going to hold on to a guy like that with you know a late first run pick it's not a great asset but certainly not terrible you're not going to do that just to play a damn guy 20 minutes per night and or 15 and just have him as a rah guy in the clubhouse you've got bobon for that now you've got other guys that you can do wow. in that role if you keep eric gordon it's because you value his play not just off the court but on it as well and i've underscored it this past year you throw out that 1 in 16 start i know people that are used to listening to me on podcasts know exactly what i'm going to say but throw out the 1 in 16 would Tice just spacing clunker chart where the Rockets were not even remotely running a functional offense. The last 65 games, when Eric Gordon played, they were 18 and 25. That's a 34 plus win pace. We didn't play, they were 1-21, in which is like a win pace of less than four games. So clearly, he does things that helps the team win. And specifically, the things that he does on the court with his floor spacing, shout out to Jackson with the four-point line. I know that's something that's huge uh, that they believe in, not because it's worth four points, but they see that four-point line being extra important for spacing for Jalen and KPJ. So Eric Gordon's willingness to take those shots and his ability to make some of them, also his defense, the versatility. And he provides you on that end. He does things on the court that actually do help, unlike Christian Wood, unlike John Wall. The Eric Gordon situation is different. On the court, he does things that helps guys like Jalen Green, like KPJ, like hypothetically Jabari Smith uh, develop in the right way. And I'm just saying, I'm not saying that you have to. 100% agree with that. Reasonable people can disagree. And I know there are some that say, look, just play the young guys. Even if there are these advantages, just give the minutes strictly to young guys and sink or swim. That's a valid take. Even if I don't fully agree, I understand that. That's not what I'm here to do because we've argued that ad nauseum. All I'm trying to say with this is just strictly in terms of probability. If Eric Gordon is on this roster and the Rockets are turning down late future first round picks for him. Do not slide him into your projected depth chart as the 15 minutes per game backup shooting guard. No, if the Rockets are passing up those types of offers because they are not meeting his valuation, then when he is available, he is going to start. Now, with that said, he's going to get rest games from time to time. We saw that last year. That may preserve the tank. That can also make... You know, Jayshon Tate, a quasi-starter. And by the way, Jayshon Tate, you can make an argument that Jabari Smith is a better fit with Jayshon than Paolo would have been because it makes Jayshon's lack of shooting slightly less of a deficiency. So in that sense, you could still have Tate as sort of a quasi-starter. He'd be your main six-man anyway and probably get mid to upper 20s in minutes. And then when Gordon gets his maintenance games, then he slides into the starting lineup. But the bottom line, if Eric Gordon is on this roster, if he isn't dealt, then at least when he's healthy and available, expect him to play 30 plus minutes because it just quite frankly does not make sense for the rockets not to trade him if they're only going to play him 15 minutes a night
0: all right paulo do you want to comment on gordon or should we let that be the final word on gordon before we go into the trade deadline or the side (laughs) side, (laughs) that's already too far into free agency
1: I'll, i'll just say one thing i think the i wonder how much how real the sixers interest was because to me there's two there's two scenarios here it could be just Daryl Mori doing the Rockets a solid and, you know, leaking interest, but not actually doing the trade. Or just saying, oh, like, it's from a Sixers report that it's coming out that the Sixers are willing to give Big, big 23." like, maybe that's leverage for the Rockets. We've seen them experiment a little bit with um, playing with the media and rumors like that with all the Depot trade. The... Um,
2: I'd believe it more if it was just that. But the fact that it was Windhorse 2, that makes me think there's something more to it. Now, granted, are yeah, they still interested well. after Deon, uh, after getting DeAnthony Melton? I don't know. That's a fair question. But, but I yeah, I do there think is... there were some legs this time.
1: There's a way. So I don't know if they... By the, way,
2: Ali, by the way, Oli Khan reported, Rockets Insider, Oli Khan reported that he said there was legs to it from the Houston side too. So you're right about them doing it like with the Old depot 2021. This case, I actually do think it was real.
1: Okay. And then the other thing is... It still works after the Melton trade, right? If the Sixers like, yeah, th- there's an argument that it's pick 23, right? But when you drive the pick out of the parking lot, you know the 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 New car, fall, yeah, yeah. You it loses value, right? And if the, if the Sixers were waiting on something, whether it's the PJ Tucker deal or if how much hard, how much of a pick it trades to takes to to bring him on. There's a scenario where, well, Melton was the best value they could get for pick 23, and they still believe that maybe Melton, Melton and Thibault can get them a first somewhere else. And so I don't know if the trade's confirmed yet, but they can still, um, they can't aggregate Melton with Corkmass anymore, for example. But they can, if they haven't concluded the trade, they can still trade Melton again as long as it's by himself. So I think it's not completely dead in the water, but with the PJ Tucker thing, and it would have been... A, um, hard cap scenario so Harden would have had to take a pay cut and Gordon himself is more salary than what the Sixers could like the Sixers would include increase two or three million salary in a Gordon trade it's definitely tougher the one I'm looking out for is the Suns because as you said I'm I don't think they would do a trade at the draft uh, the Suns would because they don't know what's going to happen with Deandre Aiden but once that's settled um if they end up not playing Aiden or, or they trade him for a couple more pieces, I think that's a real scenario where Gordon does go there and they have all of their picks available. And if he goes, man, I mean, Eric yep. Gordon's ever since I've been a Rockets fan, Eric Gordon's probably the closest one besides Harden that I would, that I it, he would be the closest one to having his jersey retired that I've watched play for the team, right? Mm. All right. So we're going to transition a little bit here. Into free
0: agent centers, um, the Rockets have expressed interest. I can't remember who did the reporting on it. I apologize, but uh, they had expressed interest. Um, maybe, maybe it was Fagan actually, um, but they have expressed interest in potentially bringing in a backup center in free agency. Some yeah, of uh, yep. some of the, the names. Thank you, Ben. Uh, some of the names that we heard, you know, circled around: Nick Claxton, Mitchell Robinson, Mo Bamba, and then I think Fagan had mentioned maybe even someone like uh Javel McGee as well on that podcast that he did. Yeah. Um
2: scotto mentioned uh Robin Lopez on my podcast. So okay. that could be another one.
0: Yeah, I do recall that. Um I ran I ran a little po- uh, a little poll earlier today. Uh just three names that I heard people were kind of high on uh that are a little bit younger. So I ran Mo Bamba, Nick Claxton and Mitchell Robinson. And with 50% of the poll, Mo Bamba you know, Texas, yeah. University of Texas, uh, alumni. He, he and that 38% three last year, I think. Yeah,
2: there you go. Yeah, it was pretty um,
0: interesting. I, I think it would be fun just from a narrative standpoint to to poach Mo Bamba from the magic and then say, oh, look how much better the, the Rockets development team is. We got Mo Bamba in here and became you know a great player. So uh, I am now fit, hitched my wagon completely to Mo Bamba. I'm hoping that's what they do. Uh, Paulo, we'll go to you first. What...
1: Who do you want if they do go back up center in free agency? So, first of all, the Mo Bamba thing. I think with Paulo there, it makes even more sense to bring back Mo Bamba because he does both. He is the rim-running type of center that Mark Williams was for Paulo. He can also space the floor if they want to run Paolo uh, in an ISO and get him downhill. That being said, I mean, for the Rockets, I think the biggest problem with Mobamba has always been mentality issues because he doesn't hustle he he didn't develop to like he was a uh, he's pick seven right he was supposed to be this type of of four spacing like seven foot or i don't know if he's seven foot but you know what i'm talking about and it, it didn't pan out um and i i think oh freaky wingspan freaky wingspan yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the whole nine yards with the magic scouting um but in my opinion and i guess i'll defer uh, i'll defer a little bit from ben is in my opinion unless you're trying to create an asset out of the mle this season kind of what they tried to do with daniel thighs and the the tpe they had last mm-hmm. season if you're trying to do that sure if you're successful if that's the case then i i would consider mitchell robinson i would consider um, Nick Claxton, right? If you can get them for those values, I think they have a little bit of upside still, and I think there will be assets that you can move on or that they can play a role in your team um, down, like when you're trying to contend. Other than that, if you, if if you're just if you're actually just trying to get a backup center, if the best options are off the table and you're left to wander between your your Robin Lopez and your uh, there's some more names that I that I that don't come to mind immediately. Javale McGee. Kavel McGee, I would just, I would, I would go to Bruno Fernando and I would offer him the same deal we offered Garrison Matthews. It's a, it's yeah. a low risk, high reward deal. He played well when he was here. He has the same tools that you'd want out of a. a,
2: real he, has game a game. he has a different skill set than Shingoon.
1: Yeah. He has, he has a different skill set from Shingun. He's more of that Noël Noël type. Although Noël is obviously a higher end outcome of that. Uh, he was already on the team, so you already know what you have. And he, provide, he provides flexibility. And the other thing is, he is someone that, if it doesn't work out, you can easily just sit him on the bench and play Garuba there. And this is my biggest thing. I'm In 80% of the scenarios, I would rather just play Garuba at the five and see what we have there. Yeah. And br- bringing Bruno Fernando bring, gives you both. If, if Garuba is completely not right, you can send him back down to the league and you can play Bruno as the, backup one, as the backup five we saw him play. He's clearly not... Yeah. Amazing, but he's also not completely outclassed when he's on the floor. Yeah, right. He's functional. And, and he, yeah. Exactly. And, and he's low risk high reverse. that Those are, if you can't get Robinson, Mitchell Robinson from the Knicks, Bombaba from the Magic, or Nick Claxton, I would just go br- Bruno Fernando and start Garuba to start see them and see what you got.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you sold me on that. That's a pretty good plan. Um, you know, because Bruno is the type of guy at his age that has a lot of upside. If You know, what is really the difference between bruno and javel mcgee other than well i mean javel does have a little bit more lane. how
1: much they're paid <laughs>
2: yeah well <laughs> i know but in this case the rockets are bargain basement shopping now you can get a lot of the same skills but a little bit younger more upside and probably less unhappiness if they end up not playing and going into you know the tice role uh from a year ago um but yeah what i would say as far as the upper tier i doubt it works out because all these guys are really about like claxton and most likely bomba these guys are my guess is they end up restricted and they're the type of age in which especially um well in the magic's case are rebuilding in the net's case boy any asset they let get away is risky because that that thing is so close to teetering on the brink um my guess is that the you know the mle probably isn't enough even the non-taxpayer mle that they end up staying and so I could see the rockets you know sniffing around and you know, if one of those guys is okay using Houston to sign an offer sheet and in that case, maybe they stay or more likely, in my opinion, the other team matches, then then fine because ultimately, like if you pivot back, a guy like Bruno Fernando is still going to be there uh, a week from now into free agency. Uh, I'm fine with them taking the bigger swing, though. Not a huge swing, but like in, you know, NT, MLE territory, like Paolo was saying, you can use that guy as an asset. Because in terms of that $80 million in cap space, we need to be clear. 2023 is not shaping up to be like a, you know, 2010 Miami Heat, LeBron James, and Chris Bosh type scenario. The odds are with that 80000000 million, you're going to be, if not all of it, at least some of it using it on projects, either you know, a literal project from the standpoint of um you know, seeing if they develop in your system the way you want that guy to, or B maybe it's like taking on a bad contract, like a Duncan Robinson and getting draft capital, you you know, renting out your cap space that way, and then you have that draft capital to help you out in trades down the line, or maybe you keep it and draft those players yourself whatever it may be. The point is, it's not like every cent of that 75 to $80 million in cap space is going to be used on clear difference makers who come in in September 2023 and all of a sudden are just gangbusters. No, you're going to be doing some creative things with that space. So if you can get a guy like you know a Claxton or a Bomba, someone this summer for a reasonable contract, David Wiener was pointing this out, Beamethog on Twitter today, if you can do it at a reasonable rate and the odds are those guys would probably have decent trade value certainly not super negative at their age and with that skill set, then just like with Tice last year, there's no harm in trying that. It's very minimal downside because, again, I just don't see giving up $10 million in theoretical space, not even actual space, theoretical, because who knows? These guys could easily be moved again at the deadline the same way the Rockets did with uh, Tice this past year. It's just really, it's not much downside. If you can get one of those guys... Then sure, I, I could see the Rockets taking a swing, but my guess is that realistically, most of those guys, even if even if they are open to leaving, and those teams aren't going to match, the Rockets aren't really at the forefront of the list anyway. Because let's be real, the Rockets had the worst record in the NBA last year. Uh, they a also, <laughs> everybody, yeah, and everybody knows the Rockets are going to prioritize minutes for Shingun as much as possible. Now maybe Shingun can't play that much because of foul trouble. We'll have to wait and see. But the bottom line is Shingun is going to be higher in the priority list, the pecking order, if you will. So I don't know if it'll work out, but does it make sense for the Rockets to try? Yes. So I'll say they take a swing on, um, you know, a Claxton or Mobamba someone in that tier, if they're available and not immediately reciting where they are, but more than likely it's someone in the Robin Lopez, JaVale McGee, or I think Palace talked me into it. I'm good with Bruno Fernando for that role.
1: Yeah.
0: And- I want to, I want to do one more, one hypothetical um, kind of with something that Ben brought up there and something I tweeted out earlier today. Uh, I mentioned, You know, giving Nick Claxton a large offer sheet as a way of making the Nets pay up uh, to try to increase their potential repeater tax tax.
1: bill. Yeah. Smart. uh, What are y'all's thoughts on that? A quick little bit on that. So what you've got to realize is the Nets don't have the Rockets MLE, right? And so what what they can offer to Claxton is the league average for the position. I'm pretty sure that's what it is with his early bird rights which projects to be about the same as what the MLA is. So you've got to be careful to offer, like, the thing about Clarkson is that's basically his market value. And, and you can't really offer more than that, because then you can run into a situation where the Nets really can't match. It's impossible. Yeah. Like, one of the <laughs> that people forget is, for restricted free agents, it's possible for the team to be unable to match, because they don't have the means to. Oh, yeah, like, good point. If they're hard-capped, or if they, or if, their MLE is the tax MLE and you're offering them not the normal MLE. The, the other thing is what I would look for, even if it's you can probably probably can't do this with a Mo Obama or a, a Mitchell Robinson or a Nick Claxton. But if you're going to settle for one of the lesser guys, I would put a heavy uh premium on having the contract be descendant. And the other thing is try and get with thice you've got the option at the end try and get the third year non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed. like mm-hmm. try and play as much as you can with the guarantees make yourself as as flexible as possible and that will help you if you need to trade them away the, having, having a partial guarantee doesn't always mean that you're going to waive the guy but it's also a security insurance an insurance policy when you're training the guy this team's the team that's taking him is if uh, the team's taking him on We'll have a little bit more security as well. So yeah. I would toy around with that a lot. Ben, any follow-up thoughts on that, or, or we good you know, to right? I mean I
2: think yeah, I think we covered it. No, I think that's cool. you want to be as creative as you can again because it's hard to see these guys as really like the long-term center. So at least to some degree, they're an asset. Maybe they can help you short-term, but you know it's primarily an asset. So yeah, I try to get them to sign the most. But, you know friendly deal you can if you can get a partial guarantee around those latter years that's all the better because at least at least partially those guys should be looked at as assets so yeah do all you can to make that contract as trade friendly as possible
0: cool well, i think that's a good place to stop um, i'm sure everyone is looking forward to free agency which will be tomorrow when most of you hear this so definitely look out for all of our content following free agency and you know what the rockets plan to do in the the early early days of it so that's gonna do it for us tonight as always you can follow me on twitter at don knock you can follow paulo over there at paulo alves NBA. Uh, ben tell the people where they can find your stuff
2: yep ben dubose on twitter the rockets wire on twitter today.com and search for the logger line at your podcast distributor of choice
0: perfect so that's gonna do it for us until next time y'all be safe and go rockets